0: So we're in our third week of this series, Complete Joy. It's got a, it is a joyful like design as well. Uh, yeah, it's so nice, it's yellow, it's got that nice swooping Nike kind of logo-ish sort of thing. Um, and as I was, this is the third week, uh, and as I was preparing to talk this week, you know what I just I kept coming back to again and again and again was Lord of the Rings. Any Tolkien fans in here? Yes! Represent! Um, there's this section in the Fellowship of the Ring. Even if you haven't read it, it's okay. If you've seen the movie, that's just totally fine. There's this section, this, this part of Fellowship of the Ring where uh, Frodo and Gandalf and the Fellowship, in their quest to, to destroy the Ring of Power, they need to cross the Misty Mountains somehow. And so they decide that they're going to go under them. You guys are with me on this? Yeah, you guys know where, at, where we are. They die. Into like this like elaborate subterranean network of tunnels and chambers and mines and feasting halls it 's this old kingdom called Moria is the mines of Moria and they 're expecting to find friends there, but they find corpses only death there, and when they, they, they arrive too late, they realize that the once great underground kingdom of Moria has become a tomb, <laughs> that's, that's all that's left of it is underground tomb, Something. Here, what and, the, and in one of the chambers, you can go ahead and throw that slide up. Um, in one of the chambers, they find this book. It's the annals. It's the, the the record of what happened here in in Moria. Gandalf like blows some dirt and dust off of it. You know, it's tattered. It's falling apart, but you can still read the words. Um, the words are like right there on the words. We're, they're like an amazing technology. We take them for granted, don't we? That like we? But words, they're like these patterned lines and markings that if you can decipher them, they can communicate across years or decades or even centuries. We take them for granted, but words, they're like carefully written and preserved can like unlock mysteries. And in this case, it's like the mystery of what happened in Moria. And so Gandalf goes and he wants to decipher what he's the one who can read this old script and this message, this correspondence. And he reads, you guys know this if you've seen the movie, but this is from actually the book. He says, we cannot get out is what's being written here. We cannot get out. They've taken the bridge and the second hall. We are still hold but hope. Oin's party went five days ago, but today only four returned. The pool is up to the wall at the west gate. The watcher in the water took Oin. We cannot get out. The end comes soon. We hear drums, drums in the deep. And then that last bit written in scribble quickly. They are coming. (laughs) It's so good. It's so good, right? Even now, like in this moment, like we've all gotten a little bit, just a tiny bit. You don't want to admit it, you'll admit it later. But you got swept up just a little bit in words in words the words are unsettling just a little they're coming you can see the but we're curious about them, aren't we? We're curious about these words. We want to know more, but it's fiction. Moria has never existed. Mythical dwarves experience no tragedy there. Gandalf, alas, is not a real person. Though Tolkien did model him after Christ. Um, That's why he descends into the grave and then returns and he's transfigured and he's Gandalf the White, anyway. Still, like with these words, even though we know they're fiction, we want to know more. Now, let's move from fiction to non-fiction, because this right here, um, actually, uh, this is called Papyrus 46, is what this is called. It's an artifact of history. Not mythology, not faith, not religion. This is a... um, These are actually photographs of Papyrus 46. It's an artifact of history. You could hop on a plane, today if you wanted to drop some coin and go see it. You can throw the next slide up there. It's housed actually in the um, Chester Beatty Library and Museum in Dublin. This is one of the earliest complete copies. It's not like a bit or a fragment or something like that of the ancient words that we read today. That's what is, um, you can throw the next slide up actually. This is actually like, it's a high resolution photo and we've zoomed in on it. These are the markings, patterned markings and lines that make up, that compose what we read today. In a world without scanners or copy machines, Xerox, whatever, These words have been painstakingly preserved, copied by hand. It is a second this is a second century copy of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Most of us, we've seen the Bible so much or we've heard about it so much that we don't really recognize what we're reading. We're reading ancient words. The patterned lines and markings of ancient Greek have been translated for us, and then they've been set in like Times New Roman font, and we forget that they have traveled miles and centuries to get to us. This is ancient correspondence from the first century. Its author was talking about stuff so important that. Hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people through the years have hand-copied it. Let, so this morning, I just say all that to say, let the strange words sink in just a little bit this morning. As we've said, this is a letter. It's a letter its ancient correspondence, Paul, one of the earliest Christian leaders, in prison somewhere in the Roman Empire, Our best guesses are Rome itself, or Ephesus, maybe even Corinth, we don't really know, but those markings and lines, they were first scratched out by candlelight in darkness, in a a cell somewhere, and they're... I don't know how many of us were carefully listening or paying attention to what was being said this morning, but there's something a little unsettling about Paul's words, too. Something a little unsettling. And it's, um, it's not unsettling in the same way, they are coming, is, is unsettling. It's not unsettling that way. It's more in the lines of, what planet is this guy living on? Like, is this... Is this guy smoking something? Let's get real here. Like, he is full of joy. The deepest kind of joy. Deep soul happiness is is coming out of this guy. This guy has a, this letter, this ancient letter has the reputation of being one of the most excited, enthusiastic, joyful letters in human history, not just in the Bible, but like in human history, in the ancient world, modern world. This is a, just an incredible correspondence here. That's, again, none of this is a statement of uh, faith. All of this is, we're just in the realm of history right now. It's like, what was up with this guy scratching out this letter in the cold, in the dark, surrounded by stone, by candlelight? What is up, what is going on Inside of this guy, whatever you think about, like, Bible or New Testament or Paul or faith or whatever, this is a letter written by a man in an ancient Roman prison. He is hungry. He is dirty. He is waiting however long for somebody to bring him food. Because they don't, as Joe said a couple of weeks ago, they don't feed you in these prisons. People have to bring you food. He's likely in literal heavy chains, and so every line and marking requires effort. Why did this guy write this letter? Regardless of your religious beliefs, just as a matter of history, you have to scratch your head and say, what was up with this guy? What was up with this guy? Paul seems freer in prison than most of us do in our homes. He seems more joyful in his cold cell than we do taking a hot shower. What joy and enthusiasm and excitement and optimism and hope. True, genuine, sparkling, dazzling hope that's in short supply in our culture today, right? It's just bleeding onto the papyrus. Like, Near the middle of his letter, he says, uh, "Verse it's chapter two, verse 17. He says uh, something very similar uh, to all of this. He says that he's being—it's uh, verse seventeen, chapter two. He says that he's being emptied. He's being poured out like a like a cup of wine on an ancient off, uh, uh, altar. And he says, "I'm glad about this. I'm joyful about this." And then at the um, and and he says he has the audacity to tell. His, his, um, his audience and us too, we're eavesdropping on all of this. He says, you should be glad about it too. What? <laughs> Be glad with me, is what he says. Uh, And then uh, towards the end of the letter, it's rather famous, uh, chapter 4, verse 4, he says famously, uh, my translation, the common English Bible says, be glad in the Lord always. Again, I say, be glad. You guys know it if you've been around church, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. What? what is, what is up with this guy? Is the, what was driving him? What has happened to this man? What is he experiencing that is driving him to lift heavy iron and to intentionally mark out patterned lines and markings? Um, and what we read today, we actually read two kind of unsettling things. We blew past it, so I'm, we're going to read it again. Um, they're really curious. They're curious things. Um, he says, uh, verses 12 through 18, it's the, the kind of the first half, he says that he is joyful, he's glad, even though there are people trying to cause him pain. Did you hear that the first time around? And then, verses 20 through 26, he actually says that he's joyful, even though that he would prefer himself in his heart, he'd prefer to go, to, go ahead and hurry up and die, But I'm joyful, even though I'd like to die, I'm joyful." Those are curious, aren't they? People are hurting him, trying to hurt him, and he'd rather die, (laughs) and yet, this man is writing one of the most joyful letters in human history. I want to look at those really quickly, those are two unsettling things because, We're not feeling that kind of joy most of the time, even though those things aren't always happening to us. Um, I want to look at he's joyful while people are trying to cause him pain. He's joyful even though death would be preferable. Those are the two big movements of what we read today. They're worth thinking about for just a couple of minutes, right? 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 Yes! Okay, you guys are, if, if not, just get up and go anytime. It's okay. <laughs> I won't be hurt. I will a little, but, um, and then, um, so we're going to think about those for just a few minutes. And then, um, towards the end, there is a, um, there's a, a ninja. He said ninja. There's a ninja, a hidden sneaky ninja of a word hidden in verse 19 between the two movements. There's a sneaky ninja um, that you can start looking for him in verse 19 if you want. Go ahead, whatever. Um, But there's a sneaky ninja hidden in verse 19. And so um, we got to talk about him. He's holding actually the whole thing together. And then we'll come to the table. Uh, First, People are trying to cause Paul pain, um, and yet he says he's glad. Um, this is verses, um, primarily verses 14 through 18. Uh, he, he says, um, most of the brothers and sisters have had more confidence through the Lord to speak the word. The word is like talking about Jesus. Boldly and bravely because of my jail time, some certainly preach Christ with jealous and competitive motives, but others preach with good motives. They're motivated by love because they know that I'm put here to give a defense of the gospel. Others preach Christ because of their selfish ambition. They are insincere, hoping to cause me more pain while I'm in prison. And what do I think about this? Just this, since Christ is proclaimed in every possible way, whether from dishonest or true motives, I'm glad and I'll continue to be glad, is what he says. So Paul um, be, he's, Paul being in prison is like the talk of the town, is what's going on. People are talking about Paul being in prison. But when people talk about Paul being in prison, they're talking less about Paul and talking more about why Paul is in prison. That's what excites Paul. People are talking about Jesus. He got thrown in a Roman prison because he's talking about Jesus. Paul being in prison means that Jesus is the talk of the town and that makes Paul really excited. That makes him very happy. Most people are talking about Jesus sincerely is what he says here. Sure. There are a handful of uh, of people, like Jacobimnon over there, who, uh, (laughs) that was my combination of a couple of Agamemnon and something else, um, who uh, they're talking loudly about Jesus to somehow stir up trouble for Paul. They're wanting to cause him pain. If the Roman authorities, I guess, the scholars debate about this, but if the Roman authorities perhaps heard a lot of people talking about Jesus, they might, they're, they hear a lot of people talking, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. And the slogan, of course, of empire is Caesar is Lord. And so it may be that they're trying to stir up trouble for Paul, keep him locked up in prison longer uh by trying to spread the message, people debate about um, what exactly is driving old Jackamemnon over there. He he's, but he's standing by the water cooler and saying, "Well, you know, I hear keep hearing about this Jesus. Did you hear about this Jesus lately? Any, all people are talking about is the new Lord Jesus." And Paul says, "Yes, I don't care why you're doing it. Just keep." talking about him, the good news of Jesus just needs to keep going out. Paul's not worried. He's not worried about the pain that it may cause him. He's not worried about that. Paul isn't dwelling on, why don't these people like me? What did I ever do to old Jack, you know? Paul isn't threatened by more people taking his job. He's not threatened by his ego, like, hey, that was my gig. I was the one going around preaching that, and now other people are doing that. Hey, stop that. No. Paul recognizes that there is something in the world more important than Paul. Paul is small. Side note, that's actually what paulos means in the Greek, did you, did you know that that's what Paulo? It means like small or tiny or shrimpy or something like that. That's it's that's actually the moniker that Saul of Tarsus took for himself after he met Jesus. He took small as his name. I'm tiny, you know. I'm small. Paul, Paulos is small, and something else is big. Something else is bigger and more beautiful and more important than me we could say it this way Um, Jesus invites us all of us into the freedom of being small a life not about us Jesus invites you, me, all of us, into the freedom. It's not a burden to be small. It is freedom. A life not about us. That's what we see, actually, with going on in Paul. Paul's life. That's how we can write all of this, why we can bleed joy onto papyrus, is because Paul's life is about way more than Paul's life. Man, I'm a part of something way bigger than me. That's the heart of humility, by the way. That's what humility means. It's not that Paul or you or I or whomever, it doesn't it's not that we don't matter. It's not that we don't matter. It's the recognition that we, my desires, your ego, my comfort, even my safety, isn't the center of the universe it's not the most important thing in the universe paul the small he recognizes you can take all of those things away you can strip me of and the universe keeps going and I have not been let go by the one behind the universe. And so he celebrates, he, he rejoices, he's, he's glad because people are talking about the center, of the universe. People are talking about what matters most. Most Jesus being, he, it's like Paul would say, Jesus being talked about is so much more important than my ego or my comfort or my safety or my fulfillment. Paul, Paul's the one, Paul's the one writing from prison, but he's the one who seems free, doesn't he? He's the one who seems free. How many of us, How many of us have ever tasted this kind of freedom? Wouldn't you like this kind of freedom? How many of us have found like the daily, hourly freedom? uh, It's like an hourly levity, a a lightness of being small. I'm small, I'm not the center of the universe. I'm not the, the massive, thing around which the entire universe orbits. I'm small, and I orbit around something bigger than myself. That's the trick, of course, to being small. You got to find something bigger than yourself. You gotta, and in Jesus, of course, that's what, we're, you're at church, by the way. Um, in, in Jesus, that's what Paul says, I've found it found the most important, the most beautiful thing in the universe around which... That's why he's joyful. He's glad. Even if people want to cause me harm because they think that um, in their trying to cause me harm, they're actually advancing what I think is most important. Is what's going on. But he's not just joyful. The curiosity doesn't just end there because he's not just joyful while people are wanting to hurt him. He's also joyful... On this other side, He's joyful but when death would be preferable. Did you guys hear this when we talked about it? It's verses 20 through 26. Rather, I hope with daring courage that Christ's greatness will be seen in my body now as always, whether I live or die, because for me, living serves Christ and dying is even better. If I continue to live in this world, I get results from my work, but I... I don't know what I prefer. Can you hear like the angst in his voice? I don't know what I prefer. I'm torn between the two because, don't pull the punch here, because I want to leave this life and be with Christ, which is far better. However, it's more important for me to stay in this world. Why? For your sake. I'm sure of this, I will stay alive and remain with all of you to help your progress and the joy of your faith and increase your pride in Christ Jesus through my presence when I visit you again. Right here, smack in the middle of this letter, we find the famous words. The Common English Bible is translated it a little differently um, because for me, living serves Christ, dying is even better. Um, they, they added some words to try to like clear it up for us. I think I just muddle a little, a little bit. Um, the King James Version is what most of you had going on in your head, didn't you? Well, how's it go? For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is... Yeah, it's like this compact little statement. It's like a, a mantra or a, or a motto almost. It's the sort of thing that you could like repeat to yourself over and over throughout the day. It's almost like a, a kuna matata, you know? It's that sort of like tiny little phrase. I'm serious because in Greek it even rhymes. In Greek, you say, to live, uh, kurios. To die, kurdos. To live, christos; To die, kurdos. Christos, kurdos, like it's, it's all good. like, makuna matata, it really is. Paul, what we fail to realize about this, um, this famous little line though it, and these famous little words is that Paul is thinking a heck of a lot about the kurdos, about the gain, about the dying. He, so he comes out and says it. Don't pull the punch of verse 23. I want to leave this life and be with Christ, with my King, which is so much better. If Paul, <laughs> think about you, if you're sleeping on stone in the dark, in the cold, and if, he, if Paul hadn't contemplated suicide and escape into the arms of Jesus, um, he would have. it would have been a, actually a little bit surprising culturally because... Suicide in the ancient world was, wasn't a bad way to go. It wasn't dishonorable. From Socrates drinking hemlock to like, um to prisoners who were forced to fight in the Colosseum as gladiators, like taking their own lives to have some sort of measure of control over their, you know, suicide in the ancient world as it is now. I mean, it's this tragedy, but it's this final decisive way of exercising some sort of control over your own life, isn't it? Like not living at the mercy of anything else, not living at the mercy of others, but Paul says, no, no. I, I, I'm not going to do what would be preferable for me to do, what I actually kind of desire to do, what would be gain for me to do. Paul says no to his desire to die because he knows that other people need him. That's what you see going on here. Philippians need him. Verse 24, he says, it's more important for me to stay in this world for your sake. Not because life's great right now for me or I feel good about it, but for you. This world's about more than me. It's about you. The heart of following Jesus means denying ourselves for the sake of loving other people. That's that's the heart of the gospel. The heart of the invitation. We could say it this way. Joy is found in denying our gain for their good. Let's say that again. Joy. You will find joy in denying your gain for their good. And so Paul can say in the same breath, he can say, to die would be gain, but I am interested in something more. I'm interested in your good, not my gain. Begs the question, how many of us have tasted this? (laughs) Have tasted this kind of like joy in our lives where, where we will gladly give up What is good and gain for us? Because it means good and gain for someone else. That's called servanthood, is what that joy is called. It's so good, it's the best possible way to live, even though we fight it all the time. It's what gets Paul through his day, serving other people. I don't live for me, I live for them. How can I help? Others? How can I bring good to others? For all the parents in the room, this is actually what parenthood forces you into. <laughs> it's like, it's, and then you look back at the end of your life and you're like, oh man, apparently people tell me, I hope I'm not at the end of mine. But uh, the people look at the end of their life and they're like, man, that was like the best thing I could have done with my life was to be like giving up nights of sleep to change diapers. Like, that. I have to read this book again. Even though we've read it a hundred times, I'm going to read it again. Because even though I'd rather do something else, I will give up my rest. I will give up my sleep. I will give up my resources. I will give up my comfort. I will give up my gain for your good. For your good. And it's like this moment, like people... It's common knowledge. People are like, that's the best thing in the world. Is to, and it's not just parenthood for those of us who might want to be parents or not parents or what, whatever. This is really, it's not just parenting, it's every relationship. It's every single relationship. It's the challenge and invitation of any marriage, any friendship, any relationship, like at work with any kind of integrity. When the moment comes where I get to choose between my gain and your good, which am I going to choose? True, Paul is trapped in chains of iron and walls of stone, but Paul isn't concerned about living at the mercy of other people. Paul is obsessed with living for the sake of other people not living i i don't care if i'm living at the mercy of other people that doesn't change the fact that i'm living for the sake of other people and that's what gets me through he keeps on going even when it's hard because of the combustible joy called servanthood that's his it's his joy even though things are bleak right now it's more important for your sake for your sake. I'm not thinking about my gain, my kurdos. I'm thinking about your kurdos, your gain. And this actually brings us, of course, to um, my promised. I made promises about ninjas. And so you got to, when you make a promise about a ninja, you got to deliver. It actually brings us to the ninja, the sneaky, quiet little ninja that's been hiding right in the middle of this passage. He's been hiding in verse 19 the entire time. I'm glad Because I know that this, what we've just talked about on both sides of this, people trying to hurt him, death would be preferable. I'm glad, I rejoice, because I know that this will result in my release through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ Jesus. This will result in, the ninja is found in that word, release release. You can throw that slide up. Um, It's actually, it's right here on this manuscript. They uh, just, paper was a premium product. You don't waste any. And so it actually bleeds. It's right here, starting with that sigma, and it bleeds over to right here. It's that yellow highlight. It's the word soterion, is what he says right here. It uh, frequently gets translated most other places in the New Testament. Um, it's tricky to translate here. It, it can mean rescue. It can mean safety, preservation, deliverance. It's the word that most frequently in the New Testament just gets translated salvation. Salvation. Salvation, salvation. turns out, has been hiding like a ninja right in the middle of this passage and we didn't know it. It's like one of those movies where it's like there's this dark shadow on the wall, you know, and, su- and there's nothing in the shadow and then suddenly you see these like whites of eyes open in the, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? You see the whites of the eyes open in the darkness and a ninja's been there silent the whole time. That's what we've got here. Ninja silent salvation has been (laughs) quietly hiding in this passage. Salvation, get this, this is like, this is, I'm preaching to me. Salvation has been hiding right between people trying to harm me and I kind of wish I could die. Like a ninja. Is sitting right there. I know that this, 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 this will result in my Soterion. In my self. What's all of this? All of it. All of it. All of this mess will result in my salvation. That surprises us, doesn't it? Like, let's get like real here in I know it's church and we're not, but like, let's get real here. Most of the time when we think about salvation, we think of it as someone get me out of this mess. Somebody get me out of this mess. But Paul sees clearly what true salvation really is. The substance of salvation is sharing God's life. And that doesn't happen when you get out of messes. That actually happens, it gets worked into us as we're in messes. That's what salvation is. It's not getting pulled out, it's getting to share in the life. We get to share in the deep, true, eternal, delighting life of God that is over and under and behind and permeates everything. The the only time that we actually get a definition of eternal life, anywhere in the New Testament, it comes from the lips of Jesus. And Jesus says, this is eternal life. Okay, I'm listening. This is eternal life. To know you, the only true God, he's praying, to know you and to know Jesus Christ whom you sent. That's what salvation is, period. It's knowing God, knowing Jesus, and sharing their life. Or as Paul already puts it, right here in this letter, he says, to live is Christ, that's it. I'm just sharing his life. It's like Paul is saying, all of this mess all around me right now, I don't know how, it's actually resulting in my salvation. Because it's making me like Jesus. I want. It's letting me know the life of God. People are trying to cause him pain, but it's a, it's a place where he gets to practice humility and say, the world doesn't revolve around me. He gets to get small because of all the crap happening over here. And then he, he gets to submit to something so much bigger and say the gospel and this world and this universe is so much about, it's about more than me. And his pain of being in prison in... Walls of stone and chains of iron. It's his chance to live for something more than his comfort. To live about more than just me. It's a chance for him, not just to embrace humility, but to practice servanthood. To die, even to his desire to die, so that he can live for others. He gets to live for something outside of himself and say, your good is so much more important than my gain right now. Humility and servanthood is what we're seeing in Paul. And the reason we're seeing it in Paul is that happens to be the life of God himself. That's what God is like. If you hear nothing else, I say, this is brilliantly good news that you don't hear very often. And none of us believe, it's a lifetime book to believe it, but it's exactly what Paul says in Philippians 2 about Jesus who shows us What God is like, he says in Philippians two. I'm I'm walking by faith and not by sight. (laughs) (laughs) Philippians two. This is just a couple of verses later. He says, "Don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility, think of others as better than yourselves. Instead, of it should just say, instead, oh, instead of each person watching out for their own good." Watch out for what is, the, is better for others. Doesn't this sound remarkably like everything we see in Paul? Adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit. He emptied himself. The re- we look at Jesus and we see God denying gain for our good. We look at Jesus and we see God making himself small. That is, we resist it all the time, living for others and making ourselves small. But that is what the good life looks like. It's what what eternal life looks like. It's what salvation looks like. There is nothing else. It looks like servanthood and humility. They're not just some mechanism that gets us saved. Servanthood and humility of the cross, they aren't just like the doorway of salvation and then we walk into something else. No, servanthood and humility, they're the house. They're the house. This is what we're called to live in. It's salvation. God opens salvation for us at the cross and then he invites us to live there because it's the good life. It's eternal life. He invites us to live in his life. He, he invites us to say to live is Christ. That's the substance of salvation. The trouble is, and we're, we're coming to the table, but this is it's really important. Here's the thing. This is why this is so hard. We want a salvation that God isn't offering. Most of us, most of the time. God is offering us his, his, his the substance, his very own life, servanthood and humility. And we're like, yeah but could you just fix this situation that I'm in right now? Yeah, could you get me out of this mess? Yeah, can you fix? Can you fix all of this? And God is saying, I am using all of this to fix you. Yeah. We, um, we want... Um, here's the thing. We want a salvation that God isn't offering because we want a salvation that wouldn't save us is really at the heart of like a lot of, a lot of my trouble. I feel like God's frequently saying to me, Brett, what you're asking for right now in this moment, in this hard season of your life with all these things, I know I care about them so desperately like you do, but what you're asking for me is not salvation. You're just asking me for the next whatever. The next whatever. The next whatever won't save you, Brett. It, all of this will result in your salvation. If, if, you, if I got you out of this situation, well, you would stay in that prison of pride. You'd stay there. If, if, I, if I take this away, If I miraculously solve this, then you will never, I know it's mysterious and it's hard for all of us, but you will never taste the joy of being emptied of yourself and living for others. So no, Brett, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I'm going to save you. I'm sorry to disappoint you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to set you free with humility and it's gonna be uncomfortable while I do it, but I'm using all of this. I'm going to give you real joy. and It's gonna be hard to get there because it's gonna mean that you have to live for someone besides yourself, but no, mis- make no mistake, I'm going to save you. Last slide, salvation is typically sneaky ninja silent none of us like a stealthy savior do we none of us like the stealthy savior doing what he does i don't care for ninja jesus i want him obvious and conquering but ninja jesus he gets into places that are usually impossible to get to that's why he does it the way he does salvation and so uh, band you can come on up um My friends, salvation is already at work in your life. Salvation's already at work in my life. The spirit of Jesus is already working in all all of this. Whatever God is allowing in your life is for your salvation. Salvation. It's for your salvation. I know that's hard, to, impossibly hard to hear for some of us. Whatever is happening, whatever is not happening, you're invited to trust that this is for your salvation. Salvation in situ- Salvation is at work in situations that do not look like salvation. Part of what it means to be a Christian is to continually wake up to the fact that Jesus is present and at work in your life to like recognize the whites of his eyes in the midst of all the shadows. And so you're invited in these moments as we're coming to the table, you're invited, um, you're invited to open your hands or, or just your heart. you're invited to say, "I don't need the next whatever. I need salvation. Make me like you, Jesus. make me humble. Make me a servant right here in chains of iron and walls of stone. You are already in the perfect spot. You're already in the mess. (laughs) Let him help you die to your ego, to your ambition, to your need to be large. Jesus, help us all to find the freedom of being small, of living something bigger than ourselves. Jesus set us free from the prison of living for our own comfort. Help us know the joy of serving others. Oh Jesus, may these unsettling words of Paul destroy and erode all of the ways that we live in prison ourselves. May we hear this letter from history may we find hope and life as you meet us in the present and draw us into your good future. And so um, we're coming to the table. If you're serving at the table, you're invited to come and prepare um, the bread and the cup. We remember that our Lord, our King, the heart behind the universe got small humbled himself, that he serves, that on the night he was handed over to betrayal and death, he took bread and having given thanks, he broke and he said, take, eat. This is my body and it's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, when supper was over, he took the cup and having given thanks, he gave that cup to his disciples. He gives it to you this morning and he says drink from this all of you this is my blood of the new covenant my blood is poured out that's what I'm like I pour myself out for the forgiveness of sins do this in remembrance of me and so this morning maybe as you come to the table this morning it's a chance we all come to the table with open hands we all come the same way hungry, in need, nothing to offer, and Jesus gives us himself. Maybe as you open your hands this morning, maybe the next whatever can just get released. Whatever it is that you think that will be salvation, when I get that, maybe uh, this morning Jesus is inviting you to open your hands and say, no, no. I'm making you like me through this. And so you're invited to stand. um, and The ushers will signal you um, row by row. It's not New Life's table. It's Jesus's table. And so if you're hungry for Jesus in any kind of way, um, come. Jesus wants you. He's always wanted you. So my friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come forward when you're ready and receive communion.